0: Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast because the Gospel changes everything.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good. Yes. They were here. Yes. Uh, i 'm glad, yes, they are they 're super fun. Up. I, I can step further back if you want to be Shane, there are pen ultimate class, and I I, I I fixed it for you. Simon is facing the correct way. What do you think now does that, is that Does that work? So, so, so this, this, my little Simon guy, which is like the, the, the grid that I'm doing this whole class on is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The way I do it is heart, soul, mind, and strength. But without this tape, the Simon actually is supposed to be this way. But I can't do heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, do, I can't do that because of the, the thing, because of the things. Because of the things. So I have to keep it that way. Every week, not every week, but many weeks, I come in here and Shane has come over here and flipped it around. You always notice. I mean, not always. I think it took me a couple of weeks before I realized what was happening. Um, so this morning I was in here preparing and I thought, I'll just put a little tape over it. We're almost done anyway. Um, good morning once again. Uh, so. As you all know, this is our second to last class. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, our penultimate class, if you will. Um, and we are coming to the conclusion of our Richard Lovelace book, uh, Renewal is a Way of Life. Uh, I would love to hear how many folks actually uh, read all of the words of all those chapters. <laughs> yes! Yes, yes, there, there are like three, four victors in this class. Yeah, I think you I need to get. Think get next I week. think they should get prizes next week. <laughs> really? I, I did say at the beginning of this whole class, way back in September, that fo- that, real good with my that folks, folks have done all their homework. We, you would get prizes. There would be prizes at the end of the year, uh, which I guess the end of the year's next week, so that. <laughs> yes, you're, you're, correct. you're correct. You're correct, unless I decide to do that. I won't watch that. <laughs> Joe, I will. I will, will not do nice that. To convince you, to do that <laughs> 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 that, uh, that uh, numerical value uh, is too high. Yes, it's too high. Is that the answer? Right. <laughs> yes. That was the way Joe proposed the question to me to take the administration the chairmanship for the administrative committee of the president's chair. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do I need to do to convince you? <laughs> you clearly you didn't ask enough. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> he, has <to> <laughs> right on, he has to ask me? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right, right. I oh, don't you worry. I knew. I knew when I was asking Glenn that uh, I was I was risking the wrath of Vonda. but Um anyway, uh, we are not going to continue this after this. Uh, we have two, we have just this week we're going to talk about the conclusion of Richard Lovelace's book. Next week we're going to talk about the conclusion of the best book, the Bible. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the books of James through Revelation, and part of that is a discussion of the church itself, and uh, not just our future, but our here and present. That's one of the big things about uh, the book of Revelation, but that's for next week. So this week, Richard Lovelace. some of y'all read the chapters. Here's the thing. I think this is one of my favorite books. Uh, that's why we used it as a text for this class. Um, what I love about this book is not even w- the stuff that we've been doing so far. Uh, it, the, the gold of it is in these last two chapters, uh, Individual Renewal and Corporate Renewal. Uh, the way Richard Lovelace thinks about um, it, you know, individual spiritual renewal uh, comes out in those chapters. But before we get there, we're going to talk about this first chapter, uh, Chapter 6, The Messianic Victory, which... In sum is basically taking, what Richard does is he takes uh, all of the stuff that we've been talking about and says the same thing we've been saying, which is all of the spiritual life is based in our, say it with me, Union union with Christ. I mean, we've been, we've been talking about this for months and months now. I mean, all of the spiritual life is based in our union with Christ. Um, one of his quotes, Normal Christians do not necessarily live the normal Christian life. I mean, whatever you may think the normal Christian life is, what do you think the normal Christian life is? Or maybe what do you think other people would say the normal Christian life is? Does that make sense? Yes, yes. You go to church on Sunday. You read your Bible. You, your Bible. you tithe. You tithe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and and maybe there's other parts of it, too. What did you say, Marjorie? Some people are like, oh, they're just silly. They're not an intelligent. An
0: they're
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you, you, like, disregard science, superstition. Yeah, you're all that superstition. You, you base everything on faith and you know, imaginary God or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, there's that skepticism about it. They always ask you to pray for But in the, in the crucible moments of your life, yeah, they will ask, can you please pray for me? I'll take all the help I can get. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like the normal Christian life is this thing that we hold out. Maybe we don't even put our... Um, Maybe we don't even describe it that way, but it's this thing uh, that, w- that we all have uh, a little bit of a desire that um, if I can just have a family and kids that grow up to be church folk and everything goes well and, you know, there's these dreams that we may have that we think that's what the normal Christian life is. We don't to spend hours on that. I just want us to see what Richard Lovelace is trying to get at in this chapter 6 is that um, it's not about this life that we can build. It's not about this thing that we can do. It's not about the tasks that we can accomplish. It's about our union with Christ. And all the things that he has done and is doing, and so he goes in. For those that read it, he goes in and starts describing, um, you know, Jesus as prophet. What what else does he do? Priest. What's the what's else? What else? King. And what else? The second Adam. Yeah. Um, they, these are the structures of um, of this chapter. And what he means by that is, I'm gonna have my notes. You know, Jesus as prophet. One of the, the best way to talk about it in my mind, which is helpful, and we've talked about this before, is a prophet is someone who takes God and brings it to man. That circle that looked like a human. Uh, a prophet is someone who takes God and His Word, God's Word, and reveals it to man. A priest does the opposite. Priest takes man and brings him to God. A king is a God who rules over man. Um, the, when I think about the triad of jesus 's work of prophet, priest, and king this is, the, this is how I understand it is um, jesus takes god 's word jesus takes god 's revelation and reveals uh, God to man. Without Jesus as prophet, we are blind. Without Jesus as prophet, we are blind. Um, and then Jesus as priest, you know, Jesus not only is the great priest, but he is the sacrifice, right? He's not just the great priest, but he is the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God, that uh, um, was it Nathan? The uh, disciple Nathan, I believe, saw uh, the disciple of John the Baptist was talking with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by, and what does John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus is not just the priest. He is the sacrifice itself. Um, Without So, you know, if Jesus as prophet reveals that we're blind and then all of a sudden he reveals and makes us be able to see, that's amazing. That's so great that Jesus as prophet gives us the chance to be able to see. But um, I can't think of a good illustration to this, but what's the problem is that once you, without Jesus as priest, Thank you, Jesus, that you made me no longer blind, and now I can see. And then I open my eyes and see, I'm in a problem. This is a problem. I am stuck. Uh, I need some help. And so, you know, we are, without Jesus as priest, we despair, right? We despair, kind of like linked to the blind, without... Without Jesus as prophet, we're blind. Without Jesus as priest, we despair. But he gives us, he gives us, um, well, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, He frees us. Frees us. He saves us. And then Jesus as king, you know, we know the law. We now have an offer of the solution to the problem as priest. But as a king, he is powerful. He is authoritative, you know. Jesus it doesn't just make us see, he doesn't just bring us free, but he actually gives us power. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's good to see when we talked about the Old Testament, if you remember the Old Testament uh, conversation, the great promise of God in his covenant to Abraham, especially, was about two things. It was mostly about two things it was about a seed and land. You know, uh, God says to Abraham, uh, uh, you will be father of nations, right? I mean, he changed his name from uh, Abram to Abraham to say, you're going to be a father of nations. And not just that, but all this land you see before you, this will be yours, this promised land. And so the Old Testament is really about the continuing seed, and the continuing land. Jesus as king is not just king over us people, individuals. He is king over all of his people and all of his land. And all of his land is here and now. It's not just, it's not just heaven. What is the famous Abraham Kuyper quote that, uh, there's not a square inch of this creation that Jesus doesn't say, Mine. He looks at every little bit of his creation and says, that's mine. That's mine, including, yeah, including the worst parts of whatever it is. So I I say that, I break this part up of king because I want us to see that it's not just individual salvation, which you could sort of start thinking that way, but it is about Jesus as king over everything, which then flows into the other thing, and he, you know— Richard Lovelace brings out this second, this new idea of second Adam. It's not a new idea, but it's it doesn't flow nicely. That's what I would say. You know, prophet, priest, and king. We've all heard that before. But this other idea of second Adam. Um, you know, we all know that we all die in the first. Who is the first Adam? That was a dumb question. That was a dumb question. I mean, John's like, what am I here for? Why am I awake for this? Unbelievable, unbelievable. What am I doing? Um, Yeah, the first Adam was Adam. And uh, I know some of you are Hebrew scholars in here. What does Adam mean? Man, yeah. Adam is Hebrew for man. I mean, it's just like the simple, I mean, Adam. um, There are plenty of instances in Hebrew scripture where Adam is used not as the name of Adam, but just man. I mean, this is just, that's what it means. So God made man, Adam, uh, he was the first man. And as we read in Romans, uh, Romans 5, 17, for if because of one man's trespass, one man trespass, death reigned through that one man, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You know, we die in Adam, but we are alive in the second Adam, the second man. And I think it's really important for us to see this is what covenant theology is about, is representative. That's what covenant things are about. It is representative. First man, Adam, represents the seed, represents all of humanity. Christ comes along and says, I don't want him to represent my people anymore. Christ says, I want to represent my people. So he says, I'm the second man because I am now the new representative, the new covenant that I have made means that I represent man. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, and if you are united with him, he's your representative. Um, I was just in a courtroom this past week in a weird thing that I was testifying at, and I was able to see lawyers up close. And I, I, when I was thinking about this class, I was thinking about that, who do I want? When you see that lawyer, I mean, the, the plaintiff and defendant, they don't speak in the courtroom, right? The plaintiff and defendant just sit there, and they trust and they hope that their representative represents them well, right? Um, these are the questions. Uh, when you're in the courtroom of God, I hope and pray you are not the one that is speaking. But I hope and pray that your representative, Jesus, is speaking. Spent a long time just dumping all that out because I think it's really important what we're about to talk to. And what I really want us to discuss this morning is chapter 7 and 8 about individual renewal, corporate renewal. It's all based in this. It's all based in union with Christ and the great work that he has done. Union with Christ is our spiritual life. That is it. That is what it's all about. It's not just him, you know, the Sunday school answer is Jesus. But think about this mysterious thing that we are united with him. I mean, that's crazy. That's utterly crazy. That it's not just the Sunday school answer of, well, Jesus, because that's a word or that's the person that's the main character in the Bible. But no, if all of this is true, that we're blind and he makes us see, that we despair because of our sin and he frees us, that he is our king over us individually and corporately over the whole world, and he represents us only if we're united with him. Amen. I'm going to stop rambling. Uh, Any thoughts, questions, anecdotes, jokes? Okay, if you turn in your handout, you will see... Uh, on page 3, I, we're, we're going to come to the, page 2, but on page 3 is um, the figure uh, figure 3 on, uh, in page 162 of the book. And this is the core thing of the whole book. So I should have said that early on, like in, in September. If you want to know what the outline is of the book, just go turn to page 163 and you'll see. Um, because for, for months, as we've been talking about Richard Lovelace's book, we really have been talking about the preconditions of renewal. And what are the two preconditions of renewal, for those that can read? <laughs> well, before, before, like not even that, not even those things, but what's right next to it, number one and number two. Yeah, I, not, not these two, but those two. Ah. Yes. Awareness of what? God's holiness, God's holiness and awareness of what? Our death, yeah, the depth of sin. I mean, we've, ta- we've been talking about that. The preconditions of renewal is you need to know that God is holy and you need to know the depth of your sin. Um, if you reformed theologians in America love the Puritans. We do. We love the Puritans. A lot of this book, a lot of the things is, uh, that, that uh, I read, Jonathan Edwards, Thomas Sybes, uh, uh John Bunyan in the famous Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, a lot of these, these Puritans. But outside of the church, outside of the Reformed world, what kind of um, reputation do Puritans have? <laughs> Besides being puritanical, there's a whole word based on them that is not necessarily positive. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. oppressive in their rules, oppressive in rules, lacking in grace, fire, brimstone, yep, yeah, Salem witch trials, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We don't have time to talk about all of that. Um, uh, The thing that I love about sinners in the hands of an angry God is like the illustration he uses. Jonathan Edwards was a, uh, he loved creation. He loved creatures, animals. This is like one of his things. And one of the things that the, the, the impetus of that sermon Was he was studying spiders and he loved spiders. And he was studying spiders. And the the illustration, if you read that sermon, the illustration is of a spider hanging um, by his own thread, by the spider's own thread. And there's a there's a spider right here. And the reason why I use that illustration is because he's watch he was like personally looking at a spider hanging by its thread and thinking, that is. This spider is putting so much faith in this little thread right here, in this little thread that is invisible. Like, I mean, as I do this in my hand right now to those in this class, like, you could imagine if you saw a spider right here, you might be able to think there is a a line right here, even though you wouldn't see it, right? I mean, it's just this powerful image of putting so much faith in this invisible thing. And then he, you know, said, this sinner right here is in the hand of an angry God. A, not an angry, I mean, he said angry God, but we would then translate that as a holy God, right? Holy God. We don't have time to talk about the sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, (laughs) Shane in the face of an angry Joe. That's what that is. Um, (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. I know it is. As he drinks from his grumpy mug. Uh, I I bring up the Puritans because uh, all of that is true. And I do believe that there is some some truth to every stereotype, right? Uh, The Salem Witch Trials is a black mark on uh, the history of those people, I would believe. And there are some true things. If you read um, The Crucible or The Scarlet Letter... You know, I mean, these are things that you're just like, oh, wow, these guys really were rough. Now, the Crucible was written when? In the 20th century. They're looking back. Now, the Scarlet Letter, that was written at that same time, or at least a few years after that. So I would take that more. All to say, if you actually read Puritans, if you actually read them, such as if you want a book on prayer, you should read. I know some of you have read the um, The Valley of Vision. Thank you. The Valley of Vision is a book of prayers, Puritan prayers. The Valley of Vision. And I would say if you're around West End Presbyterian Church long enough, you will read one of those prayers in our worship services because we use those every once in a while. The Valley of Vision. It's a great book of Puritan prayers because once you read it, you begin to see they were so captivated with the holiness of God and the grace and love of God, grace and love. And I know, um, um, yeah, I don't have to talk about it. Uh, the holiness of God and grace and love of God. I got to move on. Um, we need to know our awareness. We need to have an awareness of God's holiness. We need to have an awareness of the depths of sin, but then we get into chapter seven, I believe second to last chapter individual renewal, the primary elements of renewal. And so this is where Richard Lovelace we start getting into the, some of the gold of the book, because what he says, the primary elements of renewal, can someone read for us, what is w- the first primary element of renewal? Justification. Justification, which we have talked about. Justification, we have talked about. Um, and he takes a lot from Colossians 2. I'm just going to read a couple of these verses this is Colossians two thirteen to 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love the beauty of Paul's letters. Um, Those verses speak about justification, the the first primary element of renewal, which is a lot of what we just talked about with prophet, priest, king, second uh, Adam. That we are free from the guilt of sin. Free from the guilt of sin. Or another way of saying it is, you are accepted. Like you were represented by the first Adam, dying in your sin, blind and in despair, and God said, I am going to free you from the guilt of it. It's gone. Before that courtroom, you are freed from that sin. You're freed from the guilt of sin. What's the second? What's the second uh, element of Renewal sanctification, which again, we've been talking about. Sanctification. Verses 11 to 13. Again, this is the same. This is Colossians 2. This is the verses right before what I just read. In him, in who? In Christ. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Um, that speaking to you know, this, bur- this, this uh, burying and rising again, the putting off of the body of the flesh. Sanctification is no, not... Justification speaks to the freedom from the guilt of sin. Sanctification speaks to the freedom... Free from the rule of sin. You know, we are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to follow sin. We don't have to follow Satan. We don't have to follow the rule of sin. We are freed from the ruling power of sin. This this is the cleansing of our lives. Cleansing of our lives. This is what we do because we are freed from the guilt of it. We are also freed from the rule of it. It's not just, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes people think justification is God saying you're free and sanctification is us responding and saying, okay, now that I'm free, I'm going to go work really hard to prove that I'm a good Christian. No, it is the grace of God to free us from the guilt of sin and the grace of God to free us from the rule of sin we don't have to follow that sin anymore. What's the third element of primary element of renewal? The Holy Spirit within. In other words, we are not alone, right? In other words, we have... Uh, yeah, we are, you are not. Alone. What did you know? What did Jesus say when he left? Uh, he said, "I need to go." He said to his disciples, right? You know, in that uh, the Olivet Discourse um, in John fifteen, I or John seventeen, I need to go so that you, the Helper can come. You are not alone. Um, I, I've, I'm sure I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Oftentimes, people say, "Well, Jesus." shouldn't have left. He should have just stayed here. If, he's, if he can, Jesus could bodily come right here to be with us. And it is true that Jesus could come down right now at this moment and stand right here and he would be right there. Praise God. That would be really cool. Um, but we would have a God right there, but he says, I have something better. There's the God of the universe right here within us. That's even closer than right there. Even if stand it right here, closer is right there. There's a brother who is closer. There's someone who's closer than a brother, says the Proverbs. We are not alone. We have the God within us. We are not orphans, as Romans 8, 15, 17 talks about. We have the spirit of Christ in us. Um, yeah, plenty of other things. And then the fourth one, uh, what's the fourth element of renewal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Authority in conflict. Spiritual authority in conflict. Um, some of you all know I've been doing this uh, dissertation stuff, and I'm so glad it's done. It's almost, it's almost done. I still have a couple edits, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, I, did I say that, Alan? <laughs> 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 no one from my school will hear this, this uh, recording. Um, <laughs> if it's true, I will ask for forgiveness. Uh, I bring this up because someone was just asking me yesterday, I was, we were in a, uh, my wife and I were in a conversation with some neighbors, uh, they are not Christians in any way, and uh, they were asking me, well, why did you do that? Thing. You know, why did you do that work? And it actually kind of caught me off guard. Like, why did I do it? I, I mean, <laughs> um, I don't know. Right now, I'm like, I don't know why I did it. But actually, my answer is uh, the majority of what I did during the, my doctoral work was this issue of conflict. Uh, And I've realized more and more as I've been a pastor for as long as I have that I'm that this is this is most of what I do is not uh, it's deal. It's it's conflict. It's this issue of uh, we have some of us are blind. Some of us can see some of us are free. Some of us have despair that some of us are represented by the first Adam, some of us are represented by the second Adam, but even when we do see, we see through a uh, a glass darkly, thank you, or, or whatever version it may be. I mean, we see poorly because of this still sin that is uh, indwelling within us and, and warring against us, as Romans 7, 7 talks about. And so conflict comes up All the time. Uh, So I bring up that whole thing about the the work because uh, it's been very helpful to think through what is this conflict that we all have as Christians? What are the things that we are doing uh, in this conflict? Um, Verse 15 of Colossians 2, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. By triumphing over them in him. Jesus' victory of the enemies in his atonement. Jesus is victorious. And I would even say, Jesus is victorious, but... It's not really a but. Jesus is victorious, and if this is true, you are victorious even now, as there's a battle waging inside of each of us, and as there's a battle waging out in the world and the relationships we have, we are in conflict here and now and all the time until, until Jesus comes again, which we'll talk about next week. Until Jesus comes again, we are in conflict. He is victorious. So are you. You are victorious in Christ. You are victorious over the guilt of sin, over the rule of sin because you have the Holy Spirit within you. This is what how Richard Lovelace talks about, the primary elements of renewal. We need to know this. We need to know these things. You are accepted. You are free from sin. You are not alone. You are victorious. It sounds almost like new agey mantras that kind of make me iffy and I'm kind of weirded out by. But that's true. I mean, but that's true for those who are united with Christ. Those are true statements. And we need to remember that when we're in this battle. Questions? Yeah, yeah. The short answer, the short answer is union with Christ is our ground of salvation. It's our ground in everything. Faith is what gets us onto the ground. So union with Christ is everything. Faith is what gets us on there. It's the instrument. That's one way theologians talk about it. Faith is an instrument that gets us to the ground. So we should never think, oh, Christian life is all about my faith, because all that's doing is putting putting emphasis on you and on your work that you're doing. You should put it on the ground that you're standing on. Jesus. We We did talk. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When you eloquently said faith is that conduit that brings us in there. Yeah. 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 I agree.
0: Would you like weighing the simple distribution of the country here? I kinda of equated it with, uh, with Catholic mm-hmm. doctrine. What it seems here is in um, Catholic, the pastors are allowed you know, to do salary, marriage, or right. and, and with that based with BCA uh doctrine the here. It, if and I specifically asked my Chris one time when I was in high school why you did not marry Yeah. At
1: that time I didn't marry because I want to follow Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I have just yeah. oh, yeah. so right. so to stick with Yeah. And we got that
0: you this, that no, I, we had I five brothers. I right. Had I say Yeah. Right. Right. So right. make it simple. So uh, how would that would the air doctrine that, that, that you know, having all of these, would that also contradict to the faith that hey I'm just gonna follow these not all these things,
1: country Yeah, i I, I'm, I think I'm understanding what you're saying. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I think we're talking about uh, a different definition of conflict. Like, a, you, I think what I'm hearing you say is sort of a conflict of interests at that point, like a personal conflict of interest between uh, someone who wants to serve the Lord primarily and doesn't want to have the conflict of interest of, of I want to be all about Jesus as a celibate Christian— and I don't need, I don't want to add in a distraction. I don't feel called to add in a distraction of having a family. And I think that is a, a, a good, solid, appropriate thing because the Apostle Paul says that explicitly, that it would be better for you to not marry and just remain as me uh, to be, and I forget exactly how he said it. So, I, so I, I, I agree with you that there are some great, you know, we don't have to talk about Catholic and Protestant um, Doctrine on uh, celibacy of priests, but the Bible does talk about celibacy as a wonderful good thing, and so, uh, so that, I would answer that now, this conflict is dealing with the conflict the, that Paul talks about in Romans seven: I do what i don 't want to do, and i don 't do what I do want to do, <laughs> and you know that 's the conflict, this warring battle. In, that, I, that this is referring to, that I want to refer to, is Romans 7, this inner war that we're doing. Um, so that's what I would say. So, in the interest of time, because I only have 15 more minutes, um, we wanna, I want to get to the other one, which is, I, I, I hate to erase this because this is like, I'm just gonna take a picture. Uh, actually, at the end of each morning, I, um, I take a picture of these, the board. Uh, this is like the core of it, the union with Christ, prophet, priest, king, second Adam, like that's the core of it, so remember that, okay, now I'm going to reset it, um, because the graph is not done, right, there is some other stuff that we should talk about, the graph that Richard Lovelace puts on page 163, or 162, Yeah, 162, figure three, is the secondary elements of renewal. These are the primary elements of renewal based in our union with Christ. I'll put that up here, union with Christ, with Christ. Um, Based on that, primary elements. Now we get to the secondary elements. This is where faith, our spiritual life really starts, uh, you know, taking root in our lives. So can someone read for us? What's the first secondary element? Mission. 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 When he talks about mission, where are my notes? When he talks about mission, uh, he's talking about uh, the the two, fo- I mean, he, he splits these up. I don't know if I follow a lot of the distinction between splitting up in, pro- what does he say, in proclamation, in social demonstration. But uh, in this one, it works out. Um, if uh, He says in page 163, if we want to abide in the Messiah, if we want to be united with Christ, abide in the vine, as John 15 says, which is one of the best, we must go where he wants to go. I think that's probably the, the that's, that's my favorite quote. That's, that's my favorite quote of this chapter. If we want to be united with Christ, we need to go where He wants to go. So, where do you think He wants to go? What are you What are you saying? To all the ends of the earth. Yeah. What were you saying? Yeah. I said everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everywhere. Yeah, go where he wants to go. I think, you know, this is where we're starting to think about uh, how we apply this stuff. If all of this is true, we need to go where Jesus wants us to go. Well, Kathy? To the, uh, maybe another way to say it is to the place where he wants to advance his kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he is truly the king of every square inch of this <laughs> creation then we need to go where he where he's advancing we need to listen to our general and say okay where are you where are you where are you bringing me now yeah you calling me to go up this hill okay i'll go up this hill you calling me to sit right here i'll sit right here yeah we need to go where he is calling where he is advancing his kingdom i like that saying this is Matthew 28 the great commission Matthew 28 so yeah he explicitly says he did, yeah it's Matthew 28 uh the primary, anyone who's listened to me ever talk about Matthew 28, I will mention Matthew, the Great Commission begins with. How does the Great Commission begin? This is a trick question, Mike. What, how does the Great Commission begin? Yes. The, the, the Great Commission begins with, All authority has been given to me, Jesus. And then you should go, therefore. Into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son. You know, going, going, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yesterday, I did have the worst
0: witness, Christian witness I've probably ever done. Totally got me by surprise. And I've asked the Lord so many times to so help me with, with this, you know, getting in public, being a bad witness. Yeah. Keep that from happening. Yeah. You know, I
1: got this persona over here, but when I'm in the world, the world, it's so hard to revert. It is very hard. Margie, it is very hard. Um, Praise the Lord. No one's salvation is based upon your witness. No No one's salvation is based on your witness. People's salvation is based on union with Christ and His work. He's going. He's calling you to be ready in season and out of season. He's calling you to be ready to give a testimony at all times. Uh, And so you need to work on that. You should work on that. Uh, But at the same time, your great arguments may not be what convinces someone. Um, Just just last night, that couple I was mentioning that are not believers, um, I was talking to the guy and uh, he is not a believer, but we're talking about some pretty deep stuff, and I just had a throwaway line. Like, I didn't even, I, I, and it's, I'll, I'll confess to y'all, it included a cuss word that I said, because we were talking about some really hard stuff, and I said, that sounds like that's really uh, something, a cuss word. We go on the conversation, Late, after we're done, he came up to me and was like, "I didn't know Christians could cuss." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to do it, but sometimes that if something's really bad, that's that's what calls to it." And he's like, "Thank you for being real, Joe. Thank you for being real." Now, whatever that you may think about cussing, it actually—I think that was probably the best thing that happened in our conversation. Was he could see. I think life is not just all roses, but sometimes life is thorns, and it really stinks. And that was something. So anyway, God can use whatever we want to use. All my great arguments, he didn't hear a single word of that. But he heard that one line of me saying, that really stinks uh, in a really uh, uh, visual way. Um, But mission is not just going where he wants to go. It's also this uh, social aspect to it social aspect. And we don't need to talk about this too long, uh, but I think it is important for us to see that it's not just individual mission, but it's also what is the church supposed to be doing to fight structural evil? Now, you know, some of y'all might be saying, uh-oh, we're going to start talking about uh, systemic racism or whatever that may be. I, I don't know. That's for us to work through together as Christians, Uh, But we are in conflict, and it's not just individual conflict. It is real, global, regional conflict that we're in, and we need to fight those things. Um, You know, we can stand with our Catholic brothers and sisters on uh, fighting for the rights of unborn. And, you know, whatever you may think about the theology, whatever, John, whatever I may think about the theology of Catholics, I could say... uh, priest and nun, I stand with you and agree with you on the murder of unborn children through abortion, and we'll fight for that right together. Uh, But I could also stand with some of my more liberal folks uh, if we're fighting structural evils that some of the other conservative folks don't like. We can stand together. Is all that saying? All that makes sense? So, we are on mission, and we need to pray and work towards that. Um, We need to pray and work towards that. Uh, So, speaking of, what's the second one? Prayer. Um, Yeah, prayer. Um, Prayer is, this is a quote on page 171, prayer is one of the most crucial ingredients both in individual spiritual growth and in the renewal and extension of the church prayer is where it's at uh, for years I worked for the a great um, nonprofit non-denominational uh, I, there's a term that I'm losing ministry. parachurch ministry thank you uh, the parachurch ministry of young life it's a wonderful ministry I love it I support it um, I think it's really great one of the 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 things that was just beat into our heads in Young Life, and I think we need to beat this into the heads of people at church as well, is before you can start any new ministry, get people together to pray. Get people together to pray. Uh, the, The number of stories of new missions that are beginning, not just in Young Life, but in churches, new church plants, whatever it may be, the number of stories of new missions beginning with a group of people getting together and saying, I want to pray for the people in this area. I want to pray for the people in this area. I say that, and then at the same time, it is really hard for me to sit here and think it is productive for me to sit in my office and turn the lights out and close the door and pray. And I do that, and two minutes later, I'm like, am I done yet? (laughs) Is anybody else that way? Or am I just the only? Yeah. I mean, these are the things. Prayer is hard, but it, but it is productive. It is the best thing we can be doing most of the time. If you don't know what to do, just sit into Go into your closet. Go into your living room. Go outside into the woods, wherever you may be, or in the middle of a busy bus, and close your eyes and sit and pray. That is a productive thing that we could be doing. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, as I was reading, I wrote this note. It is simply the way a kingdom person lives. <laughs> he operates as if he can communicate and abide in the king. It's not a prop. An act, it's not just an activity. It is life, right? It is life. Prayer is keeping us connected to the great king uh, who rules over us. And what's the third secondary element of community? Yes. Uh, yeah. What is it? The uh, um, uniting with the body of Christ. Yeah. United community. Uniting with the body of Christ. Um, page one seventy eight. Quote again. This is a. This is a, a close second of my favorite quote in the chapter. Among the most vital means of grace are other Christians. Um, some Christian traditions talk about spiritual disciplines. Uh, We in the Reformed theology, covenant theology, we often use spiritual discipline is a true thing that I will talk about, but it's synonymous with a means of grace. A means of grace. Means of grace. Because spiritual discipline is wonderful, and I think those are good. Spiritual disciplines... um, Spiritual disciplines are great, but oftentimes you sort of walk away thinking the emphasis is on me doing the discipline. You know, I got to do the discipline. A means of grace is something that God has graciously given us to use to grow us, to nurture us. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm going off on a bit of an excursus from the community section. So uh, no, the, the, it's good clarification. Uh, I, I'm just trying to define means of grace, spiritual discipline are the things that you just mentioned: fasting, prayer, reading your Bible, going to church, being with you know, uh, uh, going to Sunday schools. You know, all those different things. Meditating, those are spiritual disciplines. I would also say they are also means of grace. A means of grace is. Reading your Bible. God has graciously given us his Bible. A means of grace is praying. That's a means of grace because it is God graciously give, uh, giving us access to him. Uh, community is another means of grace. So it is kind of, a de- thank you for the clarification. I'm not really defining community right here. I'm just sort of saying this is what means of grace means. Because community is uh, a vital means of grace for is other Christians. Other Christians. Uh, that's community. I, mean, uh, I, I don't know what else I can say about that. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Um, actually, I do have one other thing I'll say about this. This is a quote that I think is really great. And this is, again, this is Richard Lovelace writing this book in the 70s. All right. So what is that, like 300 years ago? Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey, I resemble that remark. Um, page 179. The American dream. So this is what the American dream that may have changed since the 70s. I don't know. But the American dream. I think this is still true. Dismantles the body of Christ into component family units pursuing dynastic success. So it's sort of like. You know, the American dream is like, okay, I, I participate in church as Joe Brown. But really what I care about is my own family. And I'm going to work to raise up money, to raise up Christian kids, to raise up good, to be a good witness to my neighborhood. That's what I really care about. And if, if I interact with y'all, I'll pray for you. I'll, uh, you know, maybe I might help you. Maybe, if I'm being gracious at that moment, but really, it's about me. What he's saying, and I think this is this is a a, a, a scalpel to our problem in some ways. Uh, the, it dismantles the body of Christ into component family units pursuing dynastic success. Christians, under these conditions draw spiritual strength not from one another, as the scripture prescribe, but, from one or two church meetings a week in which there is little interaction. Uh, The amount of times that I know people are like, well, I'm just going to go to church, and who'd you talk to? I don't know. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I think this isn't just on you. It's also on those that structure and lead churches. How do we create a church community where we really do believe this? where we really do believe it's not just what can I get out of worship or even what can I give to worship, but if other Christians are a true means of grace, how am I pursuing other Christians? How am I be allowing myself to be pursued by other Christians? That's hard. Um, I, I'm out of time. So what's the, fourth, what's the fourth and last? Is it the last one? Yeah. yeah. Theological. Yeah. Theological. Integration. I'm, uh, I'm not going to read it at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I- in other words, it's not just what you believe. It's it's not just orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. It's orthopraxy. Um, you know, doxy what you believe. Belief. Praxy is practice. Right belief is ortho, is right. Right belief and right practice. Um, We need to have both. We need to have both. Uh, We need to be able to stand on what is true and right, and at the same time be able to be flexible enough to say, I can see the truth over there in that little corner of that Um, that Pentecostal church over there that I don't really want to interact with on most days we can stand together on some things and I can see Jesus in that person Uh, so anyway uh, this is great stuff I wish we had more time to talk about it Um, if anybody uh, yeah don't just believe, but think biblically. So next week we're going to do that. Don't just believe, but think biblically. So next week we're going to talk about the best book out there, the conclusion to the Bible. So review uh, the biblical books James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, Jude and Revelation. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go. Lord Jesus, thank you for being faithful and true. Thank you that we are united in you. And thank you that you are our prophet, priest, king, and you represent us as your true, as the true man, uh, the best man in Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. See you next week for the last one.